You're listening to Arc Radio Podcast. So, assalamu alaikum and welcome to In Conversation With. It's a relatively new show, Today to Ramadan, which involves two sets of couples to chat about everyday life stuff um, affecting couples and family life. It's an easygoing and relaxed show and we want listeners to hear from different couples about interesting topics. So our topic today is living a life of impact and we are honoured to be joined by two esteemed guests, Dr. Nugmana Mirza and Sheikh Rizwan Mohammed, who are both involved in work benefiting the wider society. So I'm also here with my wife. I should have mentioned that at some point, right? Zenit. So it's oh, myself, Abdul Wadud, and Zenit. And um, we'd like to hear about Sheikh Rizwan and Nugmana's journey uh, in their life and how their ethos and values have helped them shape a life involving public service and creating a better society. Mm. So, uh, assalamu alaikum to you both. Wa alaikum I'm not bad. Are, <laughs> no, you, are you fluffing it? So you're no, interviewing me? <laughs> it's, it's, it's good to have the laugh. It's the hottest day of the year and here we are inside. Um, okay, so let's ask a, a few questions to find out more about, about you. Starting with yourself, Nugmana. So what did you do before marriage? Were you involved in any dawah work? And what ambitions and aspirations did you have as a young adult? That's not a lot to ask. <laughs> um, so, well, just before I met Rizwan, I was working for Amina, the Muslim Women's Resource Centre in Glasgow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just started to get really interested in um, violence against women, gender-based violence. I did, I'd, I'd done a lot of research around that mm-hmm. um, at university and I really wanted to work for a grassroots organisation. Mm-hmm. So I just moved to Glasgow, it'd been about a year, and um, I was working on the Violence Against Women programme, um, and that's actually where I met Sheikh Amr Jamil actually for the first time as well, because really? he did a collaborative piece about what Islam says about domestic violence. Okay. So part of my job was to promote that and to spread the word about that and also give um, women a voice and a space to, to voice their opinions and their experiences. Yeah. And I also worked in a refuge as well, um, a domestic abuse refuge. So I was really interested in doing some grassroots work and actually working with women one on one and hearing about their experiences. And um, just before I'd met Rizwan, um, I'd applied to do my PhD. Um, I really enjoyed working in Amna and they do, they still do some fantastic work. Yeah. But I think anybody that works in a volunteer organisation knows that you get to a point when there's not much you can offer women. Um, due to policy and legislation, you get to, um, a wall basically and you're, you're, you're very blocked and there's lots of barriers as to mm-hmm. what kind of options and support you can offer yeah. so I was a bit kind of like felt a little bit defeated a bit deflated about mm-hmm. what I could do and what kind of mm-hmm. support so you I mean on a daily basis we would turn women away that were victims of domestic abuse because of really poor policy and legislation which would result in like not being able to offer them anything it would result in them being economically destitute things like that yep. so I was kind of like okay this needs to be different I can try and make a, a change a different type of impact maybe at a government level so um and that's when you started your PhD and yeah. are you, do you feel like you can impact policy through that then? Yeah, I mean, with my PhD, it's, it's funded partly by the Scottish government. So initially, I mean, it wasn't a case of I wanted to kind of alter or change policy in any way whatsoever. I th- it kind of happened like that because of the way that the funding came about. So the Scottish government was, was still is very influential in my work because of that, because I learned so much about government and policy through that scholarship. Mm-hmm. I got to kind of work with them and do secondments with the government and see mm-hmm. how policy and knowledge impact one another and about knowledge exchange. Um, so I was very much in a place of transition, working from grassroots 
um, working with grassroots organisations um, with women and not having much power to do anything, yeah. to try and manoeuvring into a different field of trying to research more about these issues and trying to make an impact at a different level. Mm-hmm. And it's a shame because I've kind of lost touch with the grassroots movement and I'm trying to get back into it, but we'll see in children. Well, that's because you're a fully, fully fledged academic now, so... Well, yeah, not really, but... <laughs> <laughs> and... Shakes with one, yeah, so could you... I'm just going to give you like a nice broad question. Tell us a little bit about yourself. <laughs> yes, I'm male, um, <laughs> mid-40s, married, three children. Um, I do Islamic studies teaching. I have a passion for... Hopefully a passion for Islamic studies, teaching and learning. Um, finished a degree in geopolitics in Arabic, Glasgow University, and then I travelled for about 15 years um, studying different places. So I was blessed to be very, very interesting um, people, influential but, influential but also pious people. Um, so I did that, I came back. Um, I came back a bit um, disillusioned with mm. what I found when I got back. Um, so almost like an alien being placed in the middle of Earth, it was very strange to acclimatise. So it took me a couple of years to to kind of um, think about what kind of um, impact I could have uh, here. And so for those two years, I was kind of a reclusive individual. <laughs> Did you do much during those two no, years? No, I did a lot of joinery work, building work. Fantastic. In fact, the day that I met Nigwana, I was actually working. I, I was late for the meeting. Oh, that's a bad. That's a bad way to yeah, start. So I, got, I was late, wasn't I? <laughs> yeah, I wasn't happy. I was like, I was saying to him because Naim Raz introduced us, and I was like, Naim, he's late. I'm leaving. Aww. And yeah. he's like, No, no, you can't leave. You can't leave. So I was under some floorboards doing some plumbing <laughs> work. <laughs> Come and with then, me. Um, I think I came in my working clothes as well. No, you didn't. So no, I came very well dressed. I came well dressed, so I must have on on the way sorted yourself out. And did you not know Mana that he was? Then. Did you know that he was a sheikh, or at that time that he studied abroad? And no, I mean um, we've got a mutual friend, Naim Raza, who I'd done a bit of work with through Amina when I was working at Amina, mm-hmm. and he just by chance said to me that I know someone um, who's just come back from abroad, and I think that you would be really well suited with each other. He's a sheikh, and <laughs> me just to kind of put to contextualise the situation, I was twenty three. And my experience of a sheikh was like someone who's overweight with like multiple wives. Like, right, so that's when he said sheikh to me. So I was like, nah, not interested. And he was like, no, really, you've got to meet him. He's like an amazing human being, you know, um, extremely handsome. That's what he said mm-hmm. to me as well. And um, he's like, you've got to meet him. So I thought, okay, we'll meet. And then, um, so I didn't know actually. And I, I think I've, I don't know if this is right, but I'm sure that you said to me that that's what you did for a living. Carpentry work. Yeah, so I didn't tell that. Was so I didn't even know that he. So she's obviously from Edinburgh. She doesn't yeah. know Glasgow very well. And, <laughs> and I, have a, I have a hate hate relationship with Edinburgh as well. Do you? From the age of. I think from the every, age every class region has that, right? <laughs> yeah, so I remember going to Edinburgh for the first time at 18. Felt like he migrated or something. So I felt like I'd gone to another country. Like so when you came back from your travels to Glasgow, that same feeling? Yeah, the same feeling with Edinburgh was the last Disillusioned. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, because, I mean, the, the person who introduced us actually emailed me. Um, I was actually in Egypt, in a book fair in Egypt, Cairo International Book Fair, so I was looking for books there. And I was actually staying with uh, Sheikh Hassan Rabani. He was actually doing his undergraduate Azhar at that time, so I'd crashed in his house. So I remember I had a couple of days left after the book fair, and I decided to... Um, take a trip to the, the, the burial place of a very famous sheikh, uh, Abu Hassan al-Shadili. And he, if you know Cairo, Cairo and where he's buried is, is a good eight, nine hours journey. 
Um, so what I did is I grabbed somebody from that route, that house. Hmm. Um, so Hassan and Sheikh Hassan was there. We had classes and stuff. So I grabbed somebody who said I didn't have anything to do that day. We basically hitchhiked all the way <laughs> eight hours down to... And the last bit of the trip was on, a, a, on an oil tanker. <laughs> no way! On an oil tanker. And you just flagged it down. It was a truck, yeah, because <laughs> we got to the end of this real track. And then there was a there was there was kind of cars there that said they'd offer us a, a lift to this place and they were charging like seventy, eighty dollars. So I said, This is hitchhike. So we hitchhiked. <laughs> the last part of it was on the back of a, this kind of crater, this kind of truck this, um, delivering oil. So we got to this the burial place of this great sheikh. Very famous sheikh, um known for many things. But it's also a place where your du'as are accepted, apparently. Mm. So it was my always been my aim to travel uh, there. So we both went Hasib. He's actually a very good friend of mine now. Yeah, myself and Hasib, we arrived there. And, and it was interesting because one of the du'as I made was that I, I tend to get married. It's the first time I made a du'a that I wanted to get married. Um, because before that, I never thought really about getting married at all. And teaching mm. and studying, especially studying in the Middle East, is not conducive to having married life, I think. If you mm. want to be very serious about studying, uh, I don't think you can you can pull off both things. Yeah. You yeah. have to try and balance. It's not fair for either the husband or the wife, if the wife or the husband is studying. Mm. So because of that reason, I never um, entertained marriage. But by this time, I'd finished. I'd been back in Glasgow for about a year. So I went and I uh, went to the book fair. So I told Naim, Naim Raza introduced her. I said, okay, I'll, I'll meet when I get back. So I made that dua and we got back. It was an interesting trip as well because I was trying to meet a sheikh in Alexandria. He wasn't there. Mm. So this is why I had this extra day. So mm. he was actually at that, that place. He was at the burial place. He was at the burial, so you met him there. He was at the, he was at the grave of Abu Hassan al-Shadri, and he gave us a, he gave me a lift and Hasib a lift all the way back to Cairo. Uh-huh. And so no stopped, old anchor. And we stopped <laughs> off, and we stopped off about three or four scholars, um, like yeah, teaching yeah. centres on the way. Yeah, and he gave me a jazza on the bus as well. Oh no! <laughs> so was that, That's brilliant. That's a very blessed day. Quite miraculous. Is that one of the miracles? It was an amazing trip. So I got back, and then the first person I've met. Um, seriously for marriage and, and we decided to get married after three meetings yeah. I remember it was our third meeting and um, he turned around and said to me that's it now that's 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 it and I was like what do you mean that's it he goes we don't meet again you've got to make your decision and I was like <laughs> what do you mean he goes I've got this three meeting rule so you didn't I've tell got me. a rule I've never used it before. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> I've got this rule, Mugmana, and this well, is what I do you, every you, time. You, you, you kind of came up with this rule. And you know, I said it's, it's, it's three meetings are sufficient. And I was like, I should have known about this. I would have used those three meetings more wisely. <laughs> You'd have asked better questions. And... Mm. So that's enough to know somebody, right? Three, three meetings? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Some advice for, for our listeners then? <laughs> Another piece of advice that helped me decide was I can ask about friends. Mm. And oh, yeah. one of the things one of my teachers said is, if a person you like to marry somebody, make you know kind of a good way of telling what kind of person there is to see their friendships with people if they've lasted over childhood, mm. like if, if you've kept the same friends mm-hmm. or you 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 look out for people that you've known for a long time. So that idea of faithfulness, yeah, to yeah. People, with, even with if just all relationships, yeah, even yeah. if they're going through difficult times, you don't just cut things off mm. with people. So mm-hmm. that's very important. Oh, that's um, a very very important thing to think about. That's really good advice. That is lovely. Lovely nugget. So, do you miss much about your travels abroad? Have you done much travelling yourselves together, actually? We've not, no, actually. Have you not? Yeah, the honeymoon is is pending. (laughs) The honeymoon's still pending? (laughs) After how many years? It's come for ten. It's not his fault, actually, Mm -hmm. because when we just got married, Mm -hmm. um, 
so we got we met and then we got married a few months later and in in between that period of kind of arranging the nikah and everything i'd learned that i'd got my scholarship for my phd so mm. i had to start straight away so i'd said to him that you know i won't be able to to travel much or do mm. much within that period of time right um because obviously i wanted to start um the studies and my studies mm. and obviously you know you both you know yourself you're doing phds you've got you have got a, a start date i know zina's making a face like are we <laughs> doing about. phds yeah. <laughs> and then he was like um so i wanted to i wanted to i wanted to kind of start that and do as much of that studying as possible so i can't blame this one completely it's not solely a fault as to why we've not traveled much mm-hmm. we did go to umrah yeah we took our daughter with us Mashallah. Mashallah. The, I mean, that's the, that's the big traveling, isn't it? That's the important yeah. traveling there. Yeah, sure. Alhamdulillah. Yeah, we got to go. We got to go on a together. Actually. And did you have any? Did you spend any time learning anything together, or is that just part and parcel of the package of you know an academic and a scholar coming together? I learned a lot from Nagwana. Do you learn that's, a lot? So what happened? <laughs> this is, is interesting. The, the days I used to give khutbahs, just before I gave the khutbah, I used to have a chit chat with her, <laughs> and I used to use whatever came to my mind. And to this day, if she listens to a khutbah of mine, she, 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 she copyrights all these statements I've made in the khutbah. Because, it, because it's quotes from... It was conversations we had. So I usually, my khutbah is prepared like on the way to the... Right, that's very hour. rarely though, that's very rare. No, but I did. I mean, a lot of your stuff. So we kind of discuss stuff and then uh, repackage it. That's nice. And resell it. And resell it. It's <laughs> nice to have someone to bounce ideas off. Yeah, that's, that, that's the good thing. I mean, we do learn that sense of bouncing ideas off each other. Because yeah, her skill set is different from my skill set, mm-hmm. obviously. Of course. Yeah, so it's good. I mean, she typed. I mean, initially when we started, I suppose myself and Sheikh Amr started it. Um, when I was writing up the notes, she would type them up. So I would dictate to her. Just, 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 just um, dictate what I wanted to write. I can type at that time. I was... Mm-hmm. I was a Luddite, which means I didn't use any technology. <laughs> one yeah, thing, he, one didn't, thing? he didn't have a phone. He, I, th- I remember he told me that he forgot how to write, sign his name in English. And he yeah, remember he had to go to the bank. Yeah, there's a period that yeah. I forgot. Because you hadn't been using English for that English long. for uh, 17 years. I can't, I, the last time I kind of wrote in English was... My Arabic was much better than my English at that point. <laughs> yeah, and he didn't have a phone. So we, we didn't text. When we were getting to know each other, we only ever... I mean, it was very old school, but not really because it was by email. But you could say it was kind of like letter writing, if you like. Mm. And and that was it. And we used to so we either met face to face or we would email. So he didn't have a phone, um, so we couldn't get in contact with each other in that sense. And I remember he told me that he forgot how to sign his name in English, and you got in trouble with the bank or something because you went. Yeah, because I actually <laughs> got to the point where I had to sign my name, and I actually forgot how to sign my name. So I obviously, if you're at a bank, and you can't sign your name because mm-hmm. I was used to writing from the other side, other direction, <laughs> Arabic. <laughs> and, it's, interesting. and it shows because. <laughs> The overwhelming majority of books, even in your office, are in Arabic. Arabic. Yeah. Arabic yeah. yeah. And I don't know if I can see any English books here, actually. There's some Turkish books. There's some Turkish books, yeah. Oh, there There's you probably are. more Turkish books than English books. Yeah, you guys are fans um, of Turkey, aren't you? Yeah. I love Turkey. I, it's I've, a special... been, I've, I've been passionate and love the Turkey for a long time. I went on, on a, a trip with some friends to Turkey when I was about 18. Um, and it's always been a very special place to me. So I spent three years there. Three and, a half years there and it was interesting because well. when we first met as well, like I've got a huge love for Turkey as well. Like I grew up with a family who, mm-hmm. and that's what I was once talking about the friendship, who has been one of my closest friends since the age of four. Mm-hmm. And I grew up with that family, the Turkish family, and learned about their tradition, their culture, and their foods. So I've always been really interested in in in, in Turkish culture and Turkish people and the language. Um, and then Rizwan, when I met Rizwan, Rizwan's fluent in Turkish. He can, his Turkish is amazing. 
So I'm trying to learn a little bit of Turkish from him now. Hmm. So it's not just, uh, you know, passing Ertuğrul. Uh, fant- <laughs> Ertuğrul's probably re-inspired it in me, the yeah, Turkish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people have... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Which is interesting because I've always known about that the in- inception of this of the Ottoman Empire yeah. and um, Osman and Ertuğrul. They've been, you know, their household names in Turkey always have been. So it's it's nice for them to be given a larger um, audience yeah. in terms of people knowing about their their history. So I think that's what's interesting. I like to like to engage myself in in the study of great people. Mm. I think if you study great people and you look in their lives, you're inspired to try and emulate in some way mm-hmm. those people so we, we know the prophesies in them and it's obvious that's the thing that always comes to your mind or comes to my mind when I'm doing something or I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing or I'm thinking of reacting a certain way what would the prophesies do in that situation but also great people in history like Ertol or Salahadina you'll be there mm-hmm. they're not just to marvel at they're also role models mm-hmm. um, and I think that's why if you want to have an imp- impactful life you need to aim high Mm. the kind of people you learn about and read about and uh, inspired by as well. And that's a lesson that mm-hmm. I would say that I've learned from Razan. Because I think when I first got married in the first couple of years, um, I kind of resented not being able to have that. Because I've never had a student-teacher relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see people, I go to high syllabus and have Sheikh Razan as your teacher. Mm-hmm. Just completely their teacher. And I've never had that experience or never benefited from that solely um but then i kind of came to this realization that you know i can learn so much from him just by observing him and seeking advice from him and anything that i do career-wise or personally i'll always ask him Mm -hmm. and seek his advice and i definitely think that's something i've learned from him is to do better to work harder to achieve more Mm -hmm. um, to set a standard and not to kind of just be okay with basic mediocre work um, and it's really interesting. I've got a very old friend called Nazim, and we almost we all know Nazim. Mm-hmm. And um, he knew me before, way before I got married to to Rizwan. And he said to me, he he he's, he meant it very kindly, but he said to me, "What you are now, what you've achieved now, is because of Rizwan." And I understand what he's trying to say is that he's kind of nurtured those qualities that he saw in me, and he's been able to bring out the best in me mm-hmm. and give me very good work ethic as well. But uh, it's a reciprocal thing, you know, with yeah, your right. discussion about this, the isolabus notes and how you were yeah. on the ground. Actually, even even um, making Islamic studies contextually relevant and and applicable, it's worth knowing what the humanities have to say about that kind of that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of the kind of discussions about ideology and philosophy, and mm-hmm. um, you know Marxism, postmodernism, all these kind of things. So she's obviously read about that in her yeah. research. So it's worth me kind of revisiting those things through her experience as well. Mm. So intersectionality is a famous, <laughs> famous thing that I've stolen from her. <laughs> oh, there you go. There's one thing. So it's a kind of the- theory that trumps every theory. So what is that? Do you want to give a, Do you want to give a wee so intersectionality? I no, use it no, all the time. No, no, this one you go. go. Intersectionality. You, basically you correct him if you get. You it's a matrix of overarching um, influences that affect a person's life. So yeah, so inequalities that affect a person's life, or factors that affect something. It's not just one factor; it may be a, a layer of factors, multiple, multiple factors. Mm. And so, in religious studies, we also have that concept, but it's not been given that name. Mm. So you have different strands that come into. Um, help you explain certain phenomena mm-hmm. and so in, in kind of social science you have the intersectionality which is to look at in, in inequality through 
not just one standpoint, but from different standpoints. But obviously, so a question is the same. Any anyone asks a question, you have different aspects to which you yeah. can address mm-hmm. that as well. I see. No, but obviously, intersectionality has got its criticisms as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> Like let's, not, let's not go too technical. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm thinking, I'm, I'm sitting here from like a academic background thinking, oh my God, there's so much more you need to say about this now, now that you've brought it up. <laughs> yeah. Everyone will be Googling it. Yeah, no, it's got its, it's, got its um, limitations as well. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, speaking about the humanities and obviously your PhD, what was that experience like? Because um, I, I know this is just like a personal question I'm asking now because I'm coming to the end of it, um, yeah, I think, sure. anyway. But... What what was that experience like? Um, doing my PhD, um, it was it was an amazing experience actually. It was, um, it was, it was when I was when something when something negative always happens with me, um, like a, a, a difficult experience. And sometimes I say to Rizwan, um, you know, why such and such thing happened, or why has this happened to me? Rizwan's always like, why do you have to see it as a negative? Why can't you see it's God's way of elevating your soul? Like our soul can never see static. I see as my I, I, I can see my PhD as completely remaking me as a human being, as in every way possible, um, mentally, physically. You know, um, when it comes to resilience, the type of work, mm-hmm. working under extreme pressure, um, to huge time constraints. Um, so it, it was an amazing experience, very fulfilling, but very testing as well. Um, mm-hmm. I, obviously, I had two children and a pregnancy. In between, that. Um, yeah, it's an amazing feat. So, really uh, but then you know to have support as well. Like Rizwan was very, very supportive of my work and um, my timetable. And people always ask me like, "What's it like to sacrifice for, um, or what's it like to sacrifice um, being a sheikh's wife?" But I think it's reciprocal because he's also sacrificed and compromised mm-hmm. for me and my work and taking time out, and he's also. Um, um, you know, turn down offers to go abroad and do things abroad so it doesn't in any way um, Mm -hmm. eat into my time to do my studies. So um, that's how I would describe the PhD. So part of the answer when someone asks you what's it like being the wife of Sheikh is like being the wife of any (laughs) Any, any, any other human being compromise and sacrifice. How does Sheikh Rizwan keep talking considering, (laughs) you know, he's he's on the radio pretty much every day. I'm getting like really dry throat here. I can barely speak. So uh, how how do you do it? I don't know. I mean, um, I'm really tired when I get into radio. I'm usually very tired. And then once you have to speak, you have to speak. Uh, I'm not. I'm not a talkative person. So people that know me, I had a number of um, Canadian friends that stopped being my friends because I wouldn't speak <laughs> with them. Canadian um, friends. Canadian friends specifically. This dropped by the wayside. I spend months not speaking when I was when I was studying to period of study. I remember not uttering anything. Even during my period of study, I remember I asked three questions. Oh, what, what were they? They were just very technically <laughs> weird questions. And I remember one time I asked a question and the, and the teacher just stopped. He closed his book and he looked at me and he asked everyone to look at me. <laughs> and he asked me to repeat the question. Because <laughs> they never heard yeah, you cause talk? Yeah, because they, they thought I'd never, I, I, I couldn't speak. <laughs> 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 so speaking is a very rare, rare commodity. For me, I think no one else. Yeah, even do you know the first time we met? The first time we met, he didn't speak. Do you remember? Yeah, the first night. It was complete silence. And it wasn't intentional. It wasn't as if yeah, I was sitting there trying to, um, kind of prove a point. I just didn't speak, and she she just kept speaking. I just kept speaking. I just kept speaking. He wouldn't speak. In my head, I was thinking, why is he not speaking? Is this a joke? Is now I'm like this kind of some kind of joke <laughs> set up here because <laughs> he wouldn't speak. 
<laughs> and then, um, yeah, so I, he doesn't speak much at all, at all. Very, a man of very few words. Yes, yeah, so when you, when you need to speak, you need to speak. Yeah. So basically, if you need to speak, you need to speak. If you need to remain silent, you remain silent. So it's a good rule of thumb for everybody. Mm. If it doesn't have to be said, don't say it. And if it has to be said, you have to prove to yourself why it should be said. Mm. So. Well, thankfully, you speak for the radio, right? Okay. Because yeah. otherwise, it'd be quite a. Yeah, long bouts of silence, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How lucky are we to get the star show every day then? Yeah, yeah alhamdulillah. alhamdulillah. So, Z, do you want to take. Uh, okay, so on the topic, but coming back to the topic, living an impactful life, let's talk a little bit about setting up iSyllabus because that has been of immense impact for the full community and mm. even the wider UK community. So, Sheikh and McMahon, tell us about that. What was it like? Um, do you want to? No? I mean, it, it was, um, I'd been back for about two years since I've been studying and I was kind of observing but not doing anything. And I knew that, um, Sheikh Armour was, was on his way back again. He'd, he's, he's wrapping up his studies. So we kind of kept in kind of loose touch. And when, when he came back, we had a kind of meet, we met together and we discussed whether, whether, uh, what kind of things we needed to do. And my intention was always to work or not duplicate. So I, I, I mean, I just, Instilled, instilled within me from my time of studying was um, that the best projects are the ones that are done in collaboration with other people um, through which you end up um, benefiting yourself but also benefiting from the person's um, expertise and skill set and also there's there's always, always kind of playing off person's strengths as well. Mm-hmm. So we decided to, to, to start up project ourselves but also Nirvana and Sheikh Amr's wife as well, she, they both um, helped as well, so an admin, um, it was myself and Sheikh Amr doing the kind of academic mm-hmm. teaching, and it was um, Nazia and um, Nirmana doing admin work. Mm-hmm. So it was very much, let's just start it and let's get it going and see what happens let's with see it. see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, I remember t- t- in this room actually typing up the notes, or editing the notes with, with Arwa, our first daughter, on my lap. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the time she would just sit there and I would just type <laughs> or... Um, so a lot of the work. My computer is the same age as I syllabus. I bought it wow. in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. It's the same computer I still have. I remember Arwa just sitting there looking at my keyboard when she was about three or four months old. And she would just sit there. Mm-hmm. So it was a very um, it was it was a kind of cottage industry a start, wasn't it? So <laughs> it wasn't a professional start, so we just kept it going as we could. Alhamdulillah, uh, it's been well received. Um, so it's very difficult to keep a project like that going yeah. with the travelling and things like that and also um, the family as well. It's, mm-hmm. it's quite demanding. Yeah. And we'll get to that, inshallah. Yeah. Nagmana, what was what was it like for you when you first, you know, when the, it ran for the first time? Did you expect there to be 200 students? Was it 200, did you say? Did you, yeah, did you have your more. reservations about it or anything like that? Um, no, not at all. I remember when one came to me and said, I've got this idea and I'd really like to do this. Um, you know, what do you think? And I'm kind of planning on speaking to Shikama about it. Um, so I definitely thought um, it's, it's... I mean, I didn't know much about that kind of area. I didn't know what it was like to be part of that uh, community of teaching Islamic mm-hmm. studies and whether they would get a good response or not. But from my experience of how Rizwan teaches, um, I thought he'd definitely get students coming on board. It was The issue was whether or not the students would commit for the 12 months and... Um, mm. And like you said, it was it started off very small. It was just the four of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and alhamdulillah, you know, you look at it now and there's so many and it's UK-wide. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's still so, mashallah, well-received. 
but it's an inspiring story as well for people that you know if you put your heart into it with the right intentions mm-hmm. um and the lovely relationship that him and Shekhamer have as well yeah, you know um that you can create so much from nothing so alhamdulillah. alhamdulillah so like i mean the scottish muslim community definitely felt the blessing of having both Sheikh Rahman and Sheikh Amr set mm-hmm. up the I syllabus with, of course, both yourself and um, Sheikh Amr's wife helping as well behind the scenes. Um, when did you feel like life became busy for you both with the demands of the, of those kind of activities for like talks, teaching and stuff like that? I mean, it's all, for me, it's always been busy. Um, from the moment I got married... It's been busy. <laughs> um, I renovated my whole house as well. Um, just quite a large house. I renovated it inside and out, the roof wow. and everything. So I was busy and just that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. once the once we started the course, and obviously one of the things we made a decision about was to, to write all the notes ourselves instead of taking t- co- um, textbooks. We had to start all the content from beginning to end, um, original content. So that was mm-hmm. very difficult. So to take that challenge on was, was actually meant that you were constantly editing and writing translating translating. every moment you get you would basically open the computer up and do a little five ten even five ten minutes was you wouldn't let that opportunity go so if Mm. i had five ten minutes 15 minutes i'd make sure i had something that i could type up something on i mean even to this day i mean if i'm on on the subway i'll have my phone i'll type up and by the time i get off the subway it's 15 minutes i'll have typed up about five or six paragraphs which I'll just send email myself and I'll put it into my notes. Mm. So mm. any moment you get, you should actually use. Mm. And so that's the thing. They might, it might seem a lot, but then um, you have to look at how much time you waste as well as mm. a person. Mm-hmm. And so people waste so much time um, that, you know, they can do so much more with that. So mm. busyness is, I've always kept myself busy. Mm. Um, I don't like sitting, but idly I can't sit, like watch a football match or something. Mm-hmm. It's just not, I just, I just couldn't do it. So I couldn't watch box sets or, you know, that mm, kind of stuff. <laughs> so that's, that's the case. Mm. Life's always been busy and it's good to be busy. And so did you take that on board when, you know, in your academic work? Like yeah. always getting things done here yeah, and there? Yeah, because I think because he was so productive with his time and I saw that he was so productive with his time, that definitely kind of affected and shaped the way I kind of wrote, wrote out my PhD in the mm. way I did my PhD. Definitely. I think the man is much much quicker worker than myself. Mm. So mm. we're completely different. I mean, she's much more intelligent. <laughs> she's, much, she's got much better memory. I forget things I say within um, minutes. Mm. My short-term memory is non-existent. So she reminds you? She reminds me of that yeah. kind of stuff. And she, she thinks I, I make it up, but I actually don't remember. Should I tell you something? See, when I first ever heard Sorizwan publicly speak, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Honestly, like, I've never, ever seen anybody public Because when I teach, I prepare. Yeah. I prepare, I read notes, I write my notes, I rewrite my notes, I do my slides, I put a lot of preparation in. Mm-hmm. I've seen people, I've gone to an event, I've gone to events and I've seen people say to Rizwan, oh, Shay, can you see a few words? Right? And he'll get up and you'll see a few words. But those words are so powerful and you think to yourself, he must have really thought about that, mm. but he doesn't. It's natural. And I think that's God-given. I don't think you can teach yourself that. Mm. I don't think that's something learned. Mm. I think that's completely God-given. Um, and so the way he speaks and the way he carries himself <coughs> when he speaks 
and how he can really stories and remember like hadith and passages and you know just from the top of his head and somehow it connects i was just on how do you make that speech connect so well mm-hmm. like it's got a com- it's got a beautiful thread of some kind mm-hmm. of moral or some kind of Actually, topic yeah. running through it and so i very much learn from that and try to produce that in my own work and mm-hmm. um, probably in a shabby way but i still try um, but you know the, the the first time I heard him speak, I was really blown away, and mm. uh, and lots of people say that to me. Yeah, mm. lots of and so it's not just me having a very no, absolutely yeah, yes. Yeah, I mean, I think from the the recent Umrah that I've been written on, people said that the reminders were their favourite part. Absolutely, yeah. one of their favourite parts yeah. was the absolutely. reminders were just amazing. And I'm and I'm sh- and I think someone said at one point, you know, they're not prepared. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, don't tell people that. <laughs> <laughs> Roughly, uh, there, there's preparation that goes into them, but then <laughs> they're inspired on the day. by something. Yeah. <laughs> so Rizwan's memory is absolutely fascinating to me. Yeah. That how I mean, he taught himself how to uh, speak Arabic, taught himself Turkish. How hard is it to learn a language, mm, um, and to the level that you lead to the level that he knows it at? So I don't know what he says about this memory thing. I think he just no. I mean, I have to put work into. Me- remember things and memorize. Mm. I remember in, in Damascus, there's people that can memorize a page of Quran in five minutes, five six minutes. It would take me a week to get that properly done, but it would stay. Whereas <coughs> um, you know, those people that memorize it quickly would forget quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the, you have to put the effort in, definitely. So you know, you kind of mentioned that this idea of just constantly picking away at you know different projects that you're working on. Mm. And uh, do you miss your do you miss your joinery work? Do you miss your? Yeah, I think I think um, it's good for your mind to to actually um, turn off mm. for a period and just to reflect and to think. So even when you're doing that work, you're you're thinking. So even manual labor labor when you're doing it, you're actually thinking. Most of my teachers were in some way involved in some kind of manual work. Uh, Sheikh Habib Kallas, he was one of our greatest teachers. Rahmatullahi, he was he was a plasterer. And, and he remained a plaster until he was about 17, 18. So he would study a bit and he would keep... Um, he would, they'd have to memorise poems. We had to memorise poems on grammar. He used to keep a page of that in his hat. So he would plaster and he would have it in his hat and he would memorise it. And if he forgot it, he would take his hat off and look at it and put his hat back on mm-hmm. and then continue memorising. The next day, he had a new, piece of, new page of memorising, memorisation um, homework he would do. And he did, that's how he'd study. So manual labour at the same time as being, um, he ended up being a, a scholar. Mathematicians from university was, would come to study with him, study formal logic with him, because he was. I mean, he he didn't have a primary school education either properly, so he had no certificates. Mm-hmm. But you know, he was teaching at masters level, PhD level students, mm-hmm. and so it gives you this idea that those are the kind of people you want to emulate. Mm-hmm. Um, so manual labour. And keeping your hands active is very important, I think. Mashallah. And there's so many, I was just thinking of so many self-help books now that are mm. on time management and productivity. If you just study the life of scholars, for example, mm. you can learn time management from people mm. like that. It's yeah, there's all these theories about, I was reading a couple of days about time management and they have this idea of, you know, there's a kind of fad about, you know, prioritising emails and, 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 and marking them out and, and, I just go through everything in one go. If there's something to be done, you just get it done. You get it done, yeah. And it's actually studies on the fact that that's actually more productive. 
Mm-hmm. It's more efficient than having a system that that's trying to be efficient. Mm-hmm. You spend more time trying. I don't know to, if this yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. I've heard this. It's a matrix. It's not important. Not important. <laughs> yeah. So doing yeah. that, the mental energy it takes to do that, yeah, is is very inefficient. It's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So therefore, what I used to do is, if I had stuff to do, I would just get it done and do it all in one go. And that's to this day, this is the same thing I do. Fantastic. So that means family, you know, relationship with my wife. Um, students, academic work, worship. It's the same thing. If you have the time to do it, just get as much done as you can. Mm-hmm. Even if it seems to be irrelevant, just do that irrelevant thing as well. Mm-hmm. And what was that law to do that, that something will take the oh, amount of Parkinson's time? Parkinson's law. It's mm-hmm. A task will fill the time that it's allotted. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if you so. give yourself an hour to do something, you'll get it done in an hour. Yeah. And if you give yourself, for example, writing a paper, if you give yourself three days, it will take three days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there is something to be said about time management. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so. so you both are doing amazing work, as we've heard, and making a positive impact in the wider society. How important do you think the work is and how do you plan to continue in the future? Like I said, I, was, I used to do a lot of grassroots work and support a lot of women and organisations um, dealing with gender-based violence and um, domestic abuse. Um I've kind of d- taken a different path now, so it's much more kind of academic work. It's a lot of teaching. It can be a bit deflating as well at times, you both know. Um, so I don't know what kind of impact I'm having now. I hope I'm having an impact. I mean, it's really funny when you publish a paper, the first thing that they send you is an impact report. So how to make an impact through your work. So they'll give you information about how to kind of um, spread the word and mm. uh, kind of advertise around your, your paper to so it's kind of um, more accessible for service providers and academics and general people so I kind of hope in that sense um, people do read the work um, and get some benefit from it um, I would love to go back and do some more grassroots work with mm. organisations um, and kind of assist their kind of services that they offer I would also like to spend more time doing more research um, I've learned a lot through my supervisors in the university I was at um, they kind of really nurtured me there um, so I would love to kind of expand those ideas um, and kind of give back more to the community and do more work with um, grassroots organisations. Um, so, I mean, I hope it does. It has benefited. I mean, I can't, I can't tell you how it has. I have no way of kind of measuring that yeah, yeah, um, yeah. whatsoever. Um, I remember my time working with women. Um, sometimes you feel like you're not actually making an impact because you're not actually making any kind of tangible changes. Yeah, you're, not, you're so far removed from... Yeah, the... but I remember women saying to me, you know... Um, just you sitting there and listening was enough. Um, just kind of hearing my story and kind of um, not questioning, you know, whether I'm telling the truth or not, and just listening. Mm. Um, it was, was, yeah, it was very powerful, and it was it was enough. And there's so many studies done about that as well. Yeah. That people suffer from depression, and just being able to talk talk to someone, talk to someone to about listen. it, can actually have a huge impact, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to being medicated yeah. and being on any kind of physical medication. It has a massive impact. So I can't, I mean, measure it in any way the kind of impact I have. I just hope yep. that it does have an impact yeah. on people. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, definitely. I've, I've, I was looking at one of your articles actually. Uh, Zidit forwarded it to me. Oh, really? That was fa- fascinating. Some <laughs> of the stuff you had found. It's brilliant. Um, I definitely recommend a lot of people to read it. Um, it was the it was the blog post on isolating. We're big fans. I'm a big fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it was quite cool. Um, but Shikhwan, how about yourself? Yeah, I mean, the question is obviously about how how important mm-hmm. is the work. What do you how do you think you'll you'll continue it? I think 
it's a little bit impact, but in in our line of work, of of, of kind of Islamic education, the impact. If if you're not sincere, um, even if there's a lot of impact that people can see, is there's no impact for you. So you have to constantly constantly recheck your intention while you're doing things, mm. and um, even if that means doing things that people don't want you to do, you still have to do it because you think it's in the benefit of people. Mm-hmm. So I mean, so that's something I always think about that I wouldn't try to please people through courses that I think they want to have. I'd rather provide courses that I think they need, mm-hmm. and they realise that later on. And so you just need to be sincere in that. And so the impact of that has to be personal impact on yourself. Mm. And so if I did a course and I, th- I thought it was the most important thing that people needed to do and it was very few people came to it, I would still do it. Because that's why I feel that people want to, um, want, want or they need actually not that they, that they want to do. And if I was sincere that, that would be why I'd continue to do it. So the impact thing is not that great for me. In terms of the fact that a lot of people are doing the courses, do you see yourself continuing syllabus? Yeah, inshallah. Or? So the, the the idea behind it is, it's a it's a complete I call it the recalibration of Islamic education. So basically, it's based upon what I think is very very serious, deep rooted problems in Islamic education that need to be sorted out. Otherwise, uh, we will not be able to function mm-hmm. over the next generation, two generations, in this in this community, in this society in the West. It's mm-hmm. impossible. So because of that, um, just making certain areas more relevant and making scholars more relevant to um, the needs of the next generation. And a lot of times scholars don't realise what those needs are. And also they, they completely miss the trends in general society that will affect their work. So it's okay leading a prayer, reading a janazah, um, doing Quran Khani and teaching a, a book of tafsir in a mosque. But if the waves of society are such that they're going to de- destroy the the, the 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 environment within which you do that, and the people that come to you will be completely different, then obviously you need to plan ahead. And so the syllabus is planning; it's not planning for this generation; it's actually planning for the next, which is why we started up syllabus for schools, which is basically trying to get people, mm-hmm. young kids from eleven to fifteen, um, mm-hmm. to give them what we didn't have, yeah, mm-hmm. which is so important because. I mean, part of me, I shouldn't say on radio, but part of me thinks adult education is really first aid. Um, you've lost that. I personally think you've lost that generation in what they could have done. So that doesn't mean we lose our generation that's now growing up. Mm. And so yeah. therefore we've started up this whole project of workbooks and, and uh, teacher packs with Zubair Alawi. He's done a lot of work, amazing work on this on this as well. So that's the, the idea. The idea is benefit. One of our teachers said that Islam is nashr al-khayr lil-ghayr, to spread good to other people. So this mm-hmm. idea of you constantly give, mm-hmm. and it's almost as if you have to charge yourself up to give, but really, if you give, God gives you strength. Yeah. So you just have to have this idea that it's not as if you're too tired. If you give, you become refreshed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that's the way, that's the rule you I know. You should recharge. It. Yeah, so the fact that you lie, if you're tired, you say, I'm going to lie down, that tires you out. Mm. I know it tires me out. <laughs> so what you do then is to give, and if you do that, then you you realize that you you you, you replenish yourself as well. Mm-hmm. And obviously, um, your parents. Mm-hmm. So that involves a lot of giving to your children. And mm-hmm. so, what was um, what was it like starting a family? What was it like a blessing, amazing, amazing blessing. I missed the birth of my first child <laughs> because I was at a conference. Um, well, actually, a media training. A workshop in Bristol, um, and 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 my, my daughter Arwa came. Th- I think a week early, 
Mm-hmm. And I remember um, the guana telling me not to go, but I always think that if you've got something to do, you need to do it. It was quite an important thing to do. And um, and for me, it's just, that's that's my daughter's um, destiny, that she'll be born with the loving <laughs> care of her mother and my father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And my mother mm-hmm. being, I mean, the, for, special for them that I'm not there for a reason, not just I was on a holiday, it was for a specific reason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I th- i mean, I know Nguana doesn't agree with this, but that's the way <laughs> I live my life. <laughs> and, um, and I remember the Ruqiyya was born. I had a, a lecture in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. And I basically, she, she was delivered. We I stayed with her for a couple of hours and I had to go through to his lecture in Edinburgh. So I went, then I had to come back. <laughs> and I, when I got to Edinburgh, the, the, I was being heckled by this um, Algerian student. <laughs> and so I spent an hour outside the, the lecture hall afterwards um, speaking to him about why he was heckling me like to get him to understand that the points he was making were not healthy for him <laughs> so, and all the while my daughter's waiting you know Rukhiya she's you know, a day old waiting for me in, in the hospital so that's the way life is. I mean, yeah. I, I don't get caught up with that kind of stuff. I know Nagmana. Let's see, let's, you know, me. it'd be interesting to hear. Nagmana, what do you, what do you, how do you I mean, feel about it? At the time, <laughs> in hindsight, no, um, yeah, that was difficult actually. Yeah, so when I was born, he wasn't here. When Rukai was born, he wasn't here. I think initially I found it the sometimes the lack of presence during these periods of time difficult. But I understand and accept it now. Um, and that that's just the way that he is. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, initially I used to take it personal. I'd be like, no, you're only like that with me because I'm your wife. You would never do that if it was any other situation. And I remember um, Rizwan's father passed away two years ago and um, we had just got news that, you know, he passed away. And Rizwan had said to me, I'm going on the radio now. And I was like, you can't go on the radio. Like you know your your father's just passed away you need time and he's like no I, I made a commitment I, I had a responsibility I've told him I need to go on the radio I'm not going to cancel that's what my dad would have wanted me to do yes. and at that moment in time I mean I thought okay I get it now I get it that, that is just you that's just the way that you are you have the sense of responsibility and you need to no matter what happens that's just the yeah. way that you are um, Alhamdulillah and um, so I mean the, the, I mean the girls are none the wiser so <laughs> Well, we take, I think I've taken equal share in terms of time at home and stuff. Oh, absolutely. So it's not yeah. as if it's nine to five, I'm outside. No, no. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be home for a full day or a couple of days in yeah. the week and I'll yeah. be vice versa. So they just see a lot of me and they, they don't mm. want to see a lot of me. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I mean, that's the thing. It's good for them to have that influence. So they ha- they get something from myself that they don't get from my mm. wife and the wife gives that's them something that I don't give them. Yeah. <laughs> And Nasha, so that's a blessing that you both are able to give equal mm. amount of time to your children. Mm. The kind of way it works out with both of your works, which is not the kind of nine to five but that yeah. most people have. You have, you know, it's quite staggered and ad hoc. Yeah, so it works of, out. But we, we balance that out a little bit. Like, Ivan mm. travel, travels a lot now. He's travelled quite a lot for the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. So there will be times where the girls will be coming out of school and his daddy home. No, he's not. He just came back from Manchester. Where is he going now? He's gone to Birmingham. Why is he always travelling? I remember mm-hmm. Rukia said something. Oh, I don't like daddy's students. They yeah. eat the into our time. <laughs> I don't like your students. I don't like your students that eat into our time. Mm. Um, but I've got to say, like, no matter how busy he is, he gives a really healthy amount of time to the children. Mm. Quality time. Mm. Mm-hmm. Quality time to them. So, yeah, one thing that we don't realise when we have Sheikh's time is the mm. amount of time that the family's giving up as well for, yeah, for Sheikh to be with us. No, but like absolutely. you were saying the other day, it's not really, you don't see it as a 
as a sacrifice, even though it is because... No, I mean, I don't see it as a, a sacrifice at all. I mean, I remember saying this to you the other day mm-hmm. over the phone, that, you know, I've never had... I mean, I've never opened a fast with this one. We've been married for 10 years. We've never opened a fast together, ever. Mm-hmm. We've had an iftar together, so I'll usually wait, and he's coming back from the radio station, or wherever it is that he is, and we'll, we'll eventually, at some point, eat something together, have a cup of tea together. But we've actually never, ever opened our fast together. And it used to really annoy me initially, and I used to say to him, I was like, you know, you don't have to do the iftar reflection show. You don't have to do it. You can do another segment and then we can open our fast together. And I remember speaking to people and people were saying to me, you know, um, all kinds of people, like people that are only living on their own or people that are going through trials and tribulations, saying to me, like, you know, your husband's show, that got me through, you know, the reflection show. That was the highlight of my day. That was the highlight of my Ramadan. You know, that got me through so much. It got me through an illness or a bereavement. And then I was saying to Zina the other day over the phone, I was like, you know, then I thought, well, actually, if I put it into perspective, does it really matter that I don't get to stick a a date in my mouth with my husband? Like, I'll see him at some point um, later on in the day. But the the, the impact that he's having on people um, mentally and spiritually is so much more important. And I think that's the way you've got to balance it when it comes down to... To sacrifice. Otherwise, I'd always be moaning mm-hmm. and saying you're not spending enough time at home. But Alhamdulillah, mm-hmm. he managed to mm-hmm. manages to balance it. So, as a family, um, just to wrap up, we've only got well, we're over time, but it's okay. Uh, as a family, what are your uh, what are your future plans? Do you have any aspirations? Aspirations is to inshallah raise a good family mm-hmm. and um, with good morals. I think one thing is uh, both our parents. Myself and Nizman's parents have done, and I know that her parents are, you know, very similar to my parents' is the moral character of the children is very important. So it doesn't matter what you have financially or materially, that you're, you're a good person mm. and you're educated. We're very important things for both families. Mm. So that you're educated not to get something, but to be educated and to know things. Uh, and also then to have good character with that as well. Mm. That's aspirations. And wherever that's achieved, whether it's in Glasgow, whether it's abroad, that's a complete secondary thing to where you get that. So it's not as if you want to go to a place and get that. Mm-hmm. You can do it anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that you can't do what you want to do where you are here mm-hmm. at this point because you think it's too difficult, the environment's not good enough. So I think mm-hmm. people make excuses and say, well, we need to go to Jerusalem or Damascus to do that or to Istanbul or Mecca to, you know, to make that aspiration reality. I don't think you do. Mm. Why not sneak it here? Mm. Yeah, I mean, Rizwan's basically covered it, definitely, what he said. Um, I'd have to echo the same. And, I mean, I'm very conscious of having young girls as well and, um, you know, these kind of mainstream ideas of what it, what, what beauty is, what it, what it means to be, mm. you know, X, Y and Z. So I think for me it's really important to teach my daughters about self-confidence, self-love, mm-hmm. being independent, um, the importance of education as well. And again, like Rizwan said, it's not about education, about gaining something for themselves, but to benefit others. Mm-hmm. Um, so inshallah, that's the hope. Inshallah. inshallah. Well, jazakallah khair for coming on the show to you both. Uh, Sheikh Rizwan, Nubmana, thank you so much. Uh, Zina, it's been a pleasure hosting with you. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully this is the only one we do it. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're a great host. No, no, thank you so much. Thank, thank you for having us. Jazakallah khair. You've been listening to In Conversation With... Uh, on Radio Ramadan 87.7 FM. Assalamu alaikum. For more information and to listen to more podcasts, visit us at arc.score or check out the Arc Media app.